morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Financial Channel. Today on the Black Financial Channel, we're going to talk about the third major bank failure uh, to happen in uh, 2023. What does this mean? Uh, JP Morgan Chase had to buy out First Republic Bank. Uh, this was major. This is a big deal. They are doing everything they can to kind of cover up the issues. And I'm going to talk to you about what I think the real issues are and uh, what's really going on in this economy. So get comfortable, buckle up your seatbelt. We're going to get started on the Black Financial Channel right now. Welcome to the Black Financial Channel. That's theblackfinancialchannel.com. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. I am your friendly neighborhood finance professor. On the Black Financial Channel, we talk about black wealth and black economics every single day, sometimes as much as 10 times a day under the B1 condition. B1 means we are black first. Black first means that we put our community at the top of our priority list. Black first means we care about black people. Black first means that we want to build wealth in the black community. Black first means that we want to win. Uh, if you agree with this philosophy, put a B1 in the chat. Uh, also, give me a yes. Let's do a quick sound check. Let me know if you can hear me. Uh, I see someone here on Instagram says there's no sound. So I want to make sure uh, you guys can hear me everywhere. And uh, give me a yes in the chat if you can hear me. Also, feel free to shout out the name of your city. Hello, All Goods and John Hunter and Derek Morrow and Howell Jordan and, uh, and everybody else that's in here. Okay. All right. So uh, all right. So give me a yes. I see some yeses. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for the yeses to let me know that you guys can hear me. Okay. All right. So, uh, so let's, let me ask you all this. Let me get, ask another yes or no question. Uh, how many of you heard about the failure, uh, the recent uh, failure of First Republic Bank? Did anybody hear? Uh, you might've heard about First Republic Bank having problems and then they felt like they solved the problem, right? It's almost like uh, somebody gets sick and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, here's some medication, take two of these and call me in the morning. Well, instead of actually giving the bank medication, what happened was they called in all the biggest banks and they said, here, take $30 billion and call me in the morning. So what happened is um, they understand that banking comes down to confidence. How much confidence does the American public have in a certain institution? Well, a lot of it comes down to uh, how they how the lead institutions feel about this other institution. So the economic leaders in America, starting with the Federal Reserve on down, they got together with some of the biggest banks and they put $30 billion into First Republic, uh, assuming that this was going to be a vote of confidence to say, hey, we know this bank is good. Our money's there next to your money. Don't worry. <clears throat> it's going to be okay. Well, here's the problem. Uh, you know, give, uh, let, give me, tell me what you think. Do you, do you really think that they're going, that they're going to um, treat JP Morgan's money the same way they would treat your money? Do you think that they will protect your your $1,000 deposit the same way they might pr protect $5 billion from Bank of America? Like, really? I mean, seriously, like, do you really think that they were really taking on the same risk as you? Or do you think that it was kind of a game? Um, you know, maybe a, a delusion, maybe the illusion of of security. Right? You know, uh, I studied risk quite a bit during my doctoral work. And the thing about risk is risk is a funny thing. Risk can either be real or perceived. And and the, the truth is that this uh, and then also sometimes you can feel that there's no risk when there really is a risk. So, you know, when I saw the banks doing this, I said, OK, I understand why you're doing this. But you know what? Uh, I wouldn't put my money in that bank. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't do that right now um, because because they're, they're, because here's the thing. The thing about these financial cracks in the system is they don't really tell you about the big problem until the big problem becomes the unstoppable problem. 
they they tend to uh, sort of do what you, you used to do. If you're uh, if you flooded the bathroom while your mama and your daddy was away for the weekend, you would try to clean it up before you told them what happened. So your mother calls like, hey, sweetie, is everything OK? And you're like, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. There's water coming through the ceiling or whatever. Because in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this before uh, mom and dad get home and it's going to be okay. Well, the thing is that the Federal Reserve, I believe that they, uh, for every crack they show you in the system, I believe that there's probably five or 10 more. For every uh, th- every risk that manifests itself, my belief is that there are, uh, there are you know, there, there are five or 10 other factors, five times, five to 10 times more uh, problems that you, uh, that, that you're not being told about. And so, uh, anyway, um, I, I, it looks like to me, I'm, I'm talking to my friends on Instagram. It looks like I have no audio on Instagram. I have no idea what's going on with that. Oh, is the sound good? Give me a yes. If the sound is good. Let me know if you can hear me. Cause I, I don't, I have no idea what's happening here, but anyway, so, so let's just jump into it. Let's talk more about this. Uh, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Just a reminder, I'm going to be doing a two day black wealth training camp in uh, Dallas, uh, on the 19th. So if you'd like to join us, just go to boycewatkins.com and you can join us also at boycewatkins.com. I have a great training called how to make money without working. And uh, a lot of you like that. So feel free, if that's of interest to you, uh, feel free to go take a look at that. It's all about stock options, things like that. All right. So uh, basically the Jamie Diamond, the uh, CEO of, of uh, JP Morgan is kind of coming out and pretty much trying to do what you expect uh, someone in his position to do. What they're basically trying to do is they're trying to come out and make everyone feel better about about the issue. They're trying to make everyone sort of uh, calm and say, look, hey, there's there's nothing going on here. We got this. You know, the police have arrived. Uh, The firefighters have put out the fire. Everything's okay." And uh, and and I get it. I understand why they're doing that. If you look at uh, if you look here at CNBC, it says the, the crisis that led to the downfall of three regional U.S. banks in recent weeks is largely over after the resolution of First Republic, according to J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. Uh, J.P. Morgan emerged as the winner of a weekend auction for First Republic after regulators decided that time had run out on a private sector solution. Quote, there are so many there, there are only so many banks that were off sides this way, Diamond told analysts in a, in a call shortly after the deal was announced. Um, so so basically, Jamie Diamond is saying that, uh, you know, that there are only a few banks that were having this issue. A lot of it had to do with um, what they call a duration mismatch. Uh, a duration, duration mismatch basically means that they had short-term liabilities and long-term assets. That basically... They had uh, they had some uh, they had a lot of depositors that could take their money out very quickly, take it out you know based on what they see on Twitter, and they had these long term government bond investments. That was the problem with Silicon Valley Bank. Now First Republic, I think it might have been a little deeper. I got to go look a little, little more into that. But basically, he's saying that this is an isolated incident, and what they're basically trying to do is they're they're ba- they're they're kind of po- politicians do this a lot. Right. Politicians do this. Let me give you an example. OK, whenever there's like a school shooting, right, um, you have the Democrats that will say this is a bigger problem. We need to get rid of guns. You know, everybody's going to be shooting each other. This is crazy. We need to get you know fewer guns on the street. Right. OK, I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on. It's fine. Two wings of the same bird, all that. The Republicans will say, no, this is an isolated incident. This is not. Uh, this is not related to the policy at all. This is not systematic at all. There's no need for new legislation. This is just an idiosyncratic. This is a one-time thing. This is one crazy guy 
who did something ridiculous, right? So what they try to do is isolate, right? So effectively what Jamie Dimon was trying to do was isolate the problem, almost like a virus to say only a few banks were infected with this virus. And we came along with uh, the antidote. We solved the problem. We came in and we cured these banks, right? And, uh, And the ones that weren't cured, they just died. So there's nothing to see here. But then a more skeptical person might come along and say, no, I bet you that that virus has infected other banks. And I bet you that that virus is dormant right now in a system wide issue. Because uh, remember, a lot of banks were, uh, were, were, were were really making money during the easy money era of the Fed. One of the big problems is that the Federal Reserve, when they hiked up interest rates so fast, it just shifted the whole landscape of, 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 of banking in, in this country. Uh, now the banks, their, their strategy had to shift entirely because the Federal Reserve was pushing interest rates at a level that hadn't been seen for quite a while. So in a way, think of it like you're in a basketball game and you figured out how to win the basketball game uh, because it's it, and it's not just a game. It's a fast paced game. You know, you kind of get used to uh, the referees only calling certain fouls. And then suddenly imagine that they came in and said, OK, now we're going to stop playing basketball. We're playing football now. Right? The, the whole game's different. You're not playing football. Well, some people are going to scramble. The people that were winning before are going to start losing. Some of the people that were losing before may start winning. Right. So basically, uh, this is what's happening to these banks, in my opinion. They are now just in this new regime where uh, their business models are really being tested. And what's also happening is that the big banks are coming in almost like collectively, like a, a, a second tier version of the Federal Reserve. And they're scooping up some of these smaller regional banks. And so, so generally speaking, banking is something that tends to operate most efficiently when you have big behemoths uh, managing uh, the entire system, as opposed to having a lot of smaller banks that, that possess a lot of what is called idiosyncratic risk. Like if you go to China, if I was to give you a list of the world's largest banks, watch this. Let me see here. I'm, I'm going to do this on the fly. Uh, world's largest banks ranked in order. Okay, ranked by assets. Okay, come on, boys. You got to learn how to spell. It's early in the morning, so y'all got to forgive me. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. All right, so uh, a lot of the world's largest banks uh, on this planet are in China, like Bank of China, China Construction Bank, etc. And And some of these banks are, uh, and, and a lot of this is due to China having a specific strategy that is designed around scale. It is designed around a, doing exactly what's happening right now in the United States. J.P. Morgan's coming along. They're gobbled up First Republic. They're like, okay, everything's cool now. We don't have any problems now. Look, And let me show you. Let me show you the list of the largest banks on earth. The top four on the list are in China. Do you see that? Industrial and Commercial Bank of China Limited, China Construction Bank, Agricultural Bank of China, Bank of China. And then uh, even further down, number 14 is the Postal Savings Bank of China. J.P. Morgan Chase is number five. So it's not a coincidence that J.P. Morgan came along and bought up First Republic. Also, Bank of America uh, is is number seven. They probably bid on First Republic. Citigroup is number 11. I bet they bid on First Republic because they're trying to do what China's doing. They're trying to do what China's doing because things like banking and insurance tend to operate best with large institutions. 
Now, what's the downside of that? Well, the downside is if you have big institutions running everything, then the little guy kind of gets left behind sometimes. Uh, you know, it's a little bit harder to go get that mortgage. Uh, when Latricia mentions credit unions, I like credit unions because credit unions, they, they seem to kind of actually care about people. I know that that's not in style in the capitalist society, but they tend to care about people and they want to, they know, they know your dog's name and they want to make sure your kids go to college and, and they kind of help people out. So, so we need credit unions. And so what effectively probably I imagine needs to occur is if it's not in place already is regulation to protect the smaller institutions so they don't all get gobbled up. So anyway, do me a favor, hit the thumbs up button, thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, my name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. You're watching the Black Financial Channel. This podcast is on Spotify. So if you go to Spotify, look up Boyce Watkins or the Dr. Boyce Breakdown, you will find me on Spotify. Also, I have a new best-selling book on Amazon called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. The reviews are outstanding. Uh, it has been selling like crazy. You guys love it. And it's basically 10 rules for generational wealth. It's written solely for black folks. So black people don't, if black people don't want to buy this book, then then nobody's gonna buy it because I didn't put say the Ten Commandments of Economic Power or the Ten Commandments of White Economic Power or the Ten Commandments of Everybody's Economic Power. I said the Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power because my goal is to use my entire PhD to to elevate the black community. We have a tremendous opportunity in this generation to do things that are gonna last for the next several hundred years. And I want you to start with your own family. This book is a guide. In Dallas, I'll do a two-day training on how to implement the strategies from this book. I have 100 pages of notes and slides and details on in the study guide. So feel free to join us in Dallas. Just go to boyswalkins.com. We'll be there May 19th. All right, so let's keep going. Th thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, now, uh, so, so, uh, so here's what uh, they're also saying about the collapse of First Republic Bank. Uh, it's interesting because even though J.P. Morgan Chase came in and, and saved the bank, quote unquote, it's interesting because some people are looking at it like, did you, did, is the bank really saved or, you know, is this, is this just another dead bank? And, 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 and when you save it, um, you know, what's really going on here? And I think it's important to understand that because when you're looking at stocks, a lot of your stock market investors, when you're looking at the economy, a lot of you have concerns about where the economy is going. Uh, you know, a, another dead bank is, is something to be concerned about. Uh, even though J.P. Morgan is saying, don't worry about it, everything's fine. No, I, I don't think everything's fine. Uh, there are experts. And in fact, I know everything's not fine. Uh, when I've been doing my research, all I do is take in financial information all day long. All I do is constantly keep up with what's happening. And I can tell you that one of the lead factors that people are worried about is the stability of the credit markets, the stability of uh, of our of our financial system in terms of banks. Now, mind you, please, I don't want you, please don't, don't go run off listening to conspiracy theorists who are going to tell you that the whole thing's going to collapse any day now. I'm not saying it can't collapse. I'm just saying that it hasn't happened in the last 120 years. Uh, so, so effectively, people are always able to sell you doomsday books that will tell you that everything's coming to an end because fear sells. Fear is something that people love. We're almost like addicted to it. And, I, and I'm saying instead of being afraid, how about you just be prepared? So instead of don't, don't be afraid, just be prepared. Let me tell you this other little secret that's really interesting in terms of uh, how economics works. In every situation where there is uh, what, what appears to be a calamity, there's always an opportunity. Whenever there's a calamity, there's an opportunity. So uh, right now, what, what are some opportunities? Well, you know what? Has anybody been watching Bitcoin? Has anybody been noticing how Bitcoin has been uh, blowing up like crazy? 
Uh, if, if you haven't noticed Bitcoin, Bitcoin is interesting because Bitcoin has emerged as a hero in the middle of the crisis. Bitcoin has become like the Rudy Giuliani of the crypto winter. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you remember in the in 9-11, Rudy, Rudolph Giuliani was not a popular man going into 9-11. On September 10th, Rudolph Giuliani was on the front page of the tabloids for all the wrong reasons. Uh, he had a mistress and a messy divorce and was being accused of stuff. And it was just a bad day for Rudy Giuliani. Well, then 9-11 happened. Well, when 9-11 occurred, Giuliani really showed what he was made of as a leader. Giuliani really stepped up and emerged as the leader that made a lot of people proud because of the way he handled the way he handled, uh, you know, the whole uh, the, the whole 9-11 situation. Uh, so so effectively, he became a hero, almost a presidential candidate because of that. Well, I, I feel like Bitcoin has kind of become the Rudy Giuliani of the crypto winter because Bitcoin has maintained its value in an extraordinary way. Um, you know, and, and the other thing about it is that, you know, my, my, my thinking has always been that if, if, if Bitcoin can maintain that much value in the middle of such a terrible situation, imagine what Bitcoin is going to do when the economy gets good. You know, if Bitcoin can maintain its value at a time where people are afraid to invest in crypto, imagine what the value is going to be when people aren't scared anymore. Uh, and and, uh, and and so, in fact, so right now, there's been four months straight where Bitcoin has actually gone up in value. Every single time Bitcoin has gone up in value four months straight, from what I understand from the statistics, the next year and a half, it's gone up by like 120%. If Bitcoin, or was it 120% or was it 240%? It, it might have been 240%, I, I think, because, because the article I read said that if that were to occur, Bitcoin would go from 30,000 to over 100,000. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that this is going to happen. There are no guarantees in investing. I don't care what anybody tells you. Nobody knows for sure what the future is going to hold. However, if the past is any indicator of the future, an investment in Bitcoin is something that could really pay off big time in the near future. And that's not the only opportunity. Also, the stock market as well. Once the Fed rate hike campaign is over, there are many who predict that the market is going to go up. Now, a couple of caveats to that. Number one, we have the cracks in the banking system that came from the failure of First Republic Bank. Uh, and not just First Republic, but any other banks that are going to fail. I guarantee you, at some point, there will be another bank that will fail. Number two, you have the issue with the debt ceiling coming up. Democrats and Republicans, the big dummies that they are, are still in Capitol Hill fighting like cats and dogs. They're not getting anything done. They don't care about the American people. If that game of economic chicken goes too far, then you're going to see somebody drive the car off a bridge. It could be a problem. Third, a lot of people expect corporate earnings to drop. The interesting thing about American capitalism's ability to make money, I'm not saying it's good or bad, I'm just saying they know how to make money, is that companies have done an extraordinary job for shareholders in terms of adapting to changing economic conditions. And the reason I want you to own stock, if you go to boycewatkins.com, I have a $5 a day investing plan. So if you, if you got $5 a day, you can invest and in, in your family, you will leave this earth and your family will be wealthy if you do what I tell you, right? Just believe me, my, this is, I've been teaching this to college students for almost 30 years now. I promise you, like I started teaching literally 30 years ago in 1993. And so, so this, this is something I've seen a thousand times. Uh, go to boyswalkers.com. Look for my $5 a day investing plan. But if you do this consistently, if you consistently buy your stocks and you don't sell and you hold those stocks for your kids, uh, for the next 30 years, then you, when you die, your family will be a wealthy family. So anyway, um, so, so, so the, the interesting thing is that, um, American corporations have shown an amazing ability to make money for shareholders. 
That's why I want you to be a shareholder. I don't want you to just be a worker and a, just a consumer. I need you to also buy and own things, right? And uh, and so so uh, effectively, when you see companies like Facebook, lay, you know, doing these layoffs, you see um, Microsoft did, did layoffs, Amazon did layoffs, Google did layoffs. Well, why were they doing the layoffs? Because they were taking care of the shareholders. And has anybody followed what's happened with Facebook stock in the last uh, few weeks? Has anybody seen Facebook stock and what it's been doing? I, don't, I hope you own a little bit of Facebook stock. If you don't, um, you know, I encourage you, you, you got it. You really want to look at this market. You don't want this is free money. This is free money, everybody. So let me show you uh, a screenshot of Facebook stock. Hit the thumbs up button while I show this to you. Please hit the thumbs up button. And I'm really I'm showing you these things because I don't want you to get caught up in the doom and gloom. I don't want you to get tempted to uh, to do what some people are doing, which is just sitting back and being scared. No, people that uh, that that really succeed are not people who sit back in fear. They're people who take action. So you see here, look at Facebook stock in the last six months. Look at that. That's that's what you call free money, black people. That's free money. That means that if you took the amount of money that maybe we you might have spent on fast food or going out to Applebee's or buying new pairs of shoes and put that into Facebook stock instead, your money would have grown astronomically. This stock has gone up 149% in the last six months. Now, if you go back a year, you see Facebook stock had a dip. So that's what that's investing. I mean, you you see the dips and you don't freak out. You buy the dips, right? You look at Facebook stock over the last five years. It's gave, it's given good value for shareholders, and that's just Facebook. I'm not even going to talk about all the money that I made on Netflix and, and some other companies too. So effectively, uh, this economy is a little bit complex. Uh, there are some weird issues kind of happening. The Federal Reserve's rate hikes are going to um, uh, are going to are going to affect things, uh, but ultimately, long term, there are so many opportunities here. Mashan says, where's the where's free money? Uh, free money. I just showed you free money on the screen. Now, in order to get free money, though, you have to invest in order to get something tomorrow. You have to sacrifice today. So when people tell me they have no money, I say, well, what seeds did you plant? Uh, if you plant no seeds, then you will have no harvest. There's no farmer on this planet. There's no farmer on this planet. There is no farmer on this planet who expects a harvest when he didn't plant any seeds. So every time you look in your account and you say, gosh, I, I don't really have the harvest that I would like to have. I don't have the money that I'd like to have. Ask yourself, well, did, were any seeds planted on? Did you plant any seeds? Uh, were any seeds planted on your behalf before you were born? And if the answer is no, then, then that explains exactly why there is no harvest. So if you want your children to have a harvest, you have to plant the seeds. If you want yourself, your future self to have a harvest, you got to plant the seeds. You know, and so uh, so anyway, let me let me finish up with this uh, this bank situation. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, also, uh, uh, don't forget that we have uh, financial flashcards for kids in the Black Business School. So if you'd like to get your kids ahead, uh, we have flashcards on everything you want your child to know economically, stock markets, um, uh, real estate, uh, credit, credit and credit scores and everything else. So feel free to go to financialflashcards.com if you'd like to take a look. All right. So we were talking about the third major bank failure this year. That's First Republic Bank. Uh, it basically, in March, it, it says here that in March, the turmoil exposed poor management by some mid-sized banks that essentially bet that interest rates wouldn't rise. So they made a bet that interest rates wouldn't rise. Just the idea that banks are betting is a little bit discerning or a little bit concerning. I don't know if it's discerning, but it's it's a little bit of a, of a concern that banks are using, the that, that we would even use the term bet or some gambling related term to talk about investing. I don't like that at all. Uh, when rates did rise, the banks were caught offsides with unrealized losses from bonds on their balance sheet. 
But the $30 billion injection of deposits in the First Republic last month bought time for the industry. So it didn't actually save the banks. Uh, they, what happened was the big banks all got together and they put $30 billion into First Republic Bank to give the impression that the bank was strong, right? To, and, and the problem was that they did this kind of out in the open. They did this very publicly. And it's sort of interesting because I said, I don't know, I don't know if the public is going to believe you because you're basically saying that, you know, we're going to just, you know, do these things. Uh, we're we're going to do these things to, to present the image of confidence. We're going to we're going to show confidence, but and we're going to endorse this bank. But really, we're not doing much else except putting our money there, which really, to me, I didn't see that as a strong show of confidence that could really save the bank. Uh, perhaps temporarily, it could keep the bank from failing immediately. But I wasn't really sure how this was really injecting confidence in the system, because when I talk to you all and I look at what you all are saying and what people are thinking, I didn't see a lot of confidence in there. So that was that was my two cents. Uh, so anyway, um, let me see here. I'm, I'm going to answer some of your questions here uh, since I'm we're, I'm in a good mood today. Let's see here. Uh, Musa says, why are you not developing a plan to help the black farmers or the housing crisis for banks? Uh, because I, I've spoken on these issues, but I can't really fix everything. I'm not the president of the United States. But if you all come and support the Black Business School and help us raise a few million dollars, believe me, we will go and solve a lot of extra problems. We, we Right now, our number one goal is to uh, solve the wealth gap in, in, the, in the Black community. Uh, we believe it starts family by family. Uh, we believe three core values in the Black Business School. We believe Black people should educate our own children, create our own jobs, and support black businesses. That's what we stick to. That's what we call the black core of three. Uh, we did make a film uh, recently called B1 the Movie. So we're developing a film industry, a black owned film industry. Uh, we've made six movies now uh, and uh, and we funded this, you know, just from the community, no corporate sponsorship, no government money. So we are getting things done. We've uh, actually helped over 10 million black people uh, learn how to invest for the first time. And and so we've done a lot of things, but we can't solve every single problem because we're not the federal government. But you help us raise another hundred million dollars or something, we will be more than happy to take on bigger issues and 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 farmers and whatever it is, right? But but we can only do so much, right? So I encourage you to go out and do some things. If you go out and get some things done and you let us know what you're doing and we can support you, then we'll be happy to see what we can do uh, to highlight what you're working on. All right, so let's see here. Um, would you all support the creation of an African American development bank? If Dr. Boyce started it, um, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, Ella, I don't want to run a bank. Uh, the reason I don't want to run a bank is because uh, there's too many regulations to keep up with. Uh, it would take too, way too much time. Remember, your life is short and you know, you only have time to really pour your heart and soul into one or two things, um, I, maybe three or four. You know, I, I, I don't really I can't go and say, OK, now I'm going to go be a banker. Right. And learn all that stuff required and then run a whole bank. Um, I'm running this. I'm building an institution called the Black Business School that's going to be around for the next 400 years. Uh, I'm leaving 80 percent of my wealth to the Black Business School, pouring 80 percent of my wealth into the black community. This is not going to stay in my family. It's going to stay in the Black Business School uh, because I we're and we're modeling after Harvard. We want the Black Business School to be the Harvard for black people. And I know it's that good because. Uh, there aren't any institutions out there that focus specifically on black people. Even HBCUs, unfortunately, um, they're, they're, they're funded by government entities, and, and which, which means that their funding gets cut off very easily. Their overhead is way too high. And also they train a lot of people to go work for others, whereas we don't really do that. We actually train you to build uh, family-based 
uh, institutions that you control, that you own. Uh, ownership, ownership is really important here uh, because we're we're built on a poweronomics philosophy. So that's what I've dedicated my life to. So I can't sort of sway and swerve into different things. This is where I'm at. This is where I've been. This is where I'm at every single morning when I talk to y'all. That's where I am. Okay. So let's see. Someone says my mic is down. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, shut off my TikTok. I don't know why my mic is acting weird. So let me just go ahead and uh, this is my mic. It's kind of cool, right? You put it on your ear and you can talk, but apparently it's not. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So let me just throw that thing to the side. All right. So let's see here. Um, let's see. Uh, Jashan says, uh, do you believe that digital currency will eventually take over paper currency? Yeah, I think it could. I think I think that can happen. I think that digital currency uh, is seen as more efficient. Um, you know, I know that there's conspiracies about what they're going to do with the digital currency, how they're going to use it to control us and manipulate us and everything else. And I'm not saying that that's not possible. Uh, I do believe that government entities want to have control over people and everything else. Um, but it doesn't really scare me because remember, there are um, there have always been the conspiracy theories for every new invention ever created anytime anything new comes out there's always somebody who says oh they're doing this so they can monitor us and follow us around and whatever right the telephone there were people who thought the telephone was demonic and bad and terrible and was going to destroy society like so so this is not new this is not new um so does a digital currency is that going to be a bad thing I, I don't know i mean it'll probably be a bad and a good thing i guess kind of like when, you know i think when credit cards came along there were people who thought credit cards were the devil so just know that there's no emotion you're having right now that's different from emotions that people haven't had in the past. Uh, now, do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, also, uh, by the way, uh, if you want to know how to pick stocks, how I pick stocks, I actually put together something that I trademarked called the Dr. Boyce Method, where it's, there's 11 steps you could, that I take to decide if I want to add a stock to my portfolio. So if you're not sure which stocks to buy or et cetera, just go to the drboysmethod.com. I think you're going to like it. Uh, it's really good stuff. Also, just a reminder, I'll be in Dallas uh, for two days, May 19th, and uh, we will be doing a two-day Black Wealth training camp. It's a great opportunity to network with other like-minded people who care about the community, who want to build wealth for their families, who want to build wealth for themselves. Uh, so feel free to join us. And again, what we do here in the Black Business School is we focus on Black people. That's it. We're not trying to be here for everybody. We don't hate anybody, but we realize that in order to solve a serious problem, you must take a serious approach. You must take a focused approach. So our focus is black wealth, racial wealth gap. That's it. All of our models, everything up from my PhD is being applied to solving this problem. And we are solving it, by the way. We are getting it done. Uh, or in fact, most students in the black business school have a higher uh, investment participation rate than most people. Uh, most students in the black business school have children. Uh, if the, the, the children that are in our uh, Black Business School for Kids, it's called Black Millionaires of Tomorrow. They have a financial literacy level that exceeds the average college educated adult, white, black, Jewish, Asian, whatever. So ultimately, uh, what the, all these models are based on are things that I learned when I was teaching college students at Syracuse University and Indiana University, the Ohio State University. I, I'm always I was always thinking, like, what's the heck? What sort of our, you know, the black version of, of AI in terms of a, de of a development that could actually put us ahead of the curve? I'm not trying to achieve equality. I want us to win. Uh, being equal, I never run a race and said I want to be equal to anybody. I want to win. And so basically the, the big win is the kids. The secret weapon is your children. Uh, a lot of black children are distracted by nonsense. They're distracted by uh, by things going on in hip hop. They're distracted by 
the nonsense they're being taught in public schools. They don't teach financial intelligence in public schools. They don't teach uh, black intelligence in public schools. They don't teach you how to be an able-bodied member of the black community. So when you look around and you see all the carnage and you see so many young people, <clears throat> 27, 8, 28 years old, who can barely count, barely, barely add, barely do business, barely survive. Well, a lot of this is a result. It's a function of a poor, failing public schools. So what we do in Black Millionaires of Tomorrow, there's the URL if you want to go take a look, is we just basically teach kids fundamental basics of economics that guarantee that by the time that child is 10 years old, they're going to be ahead of 90% of most adults. And by doing that, what that does is that does a couple of things. One, it shapes their identity at an early age. At an early age, they're not seeing themselves as a rapper or a basketball player or a thug. They're seeing themselves as a wealth builder. They're seeing themselves as a business owner. They're seeing themselves as a real estate developer. They're seeing themselves as stock market owners. They, they go up into McDonald's and they get to tell their 10-year-old friends, you know, I own shares in McDonald's, which means that when y'all buy a cheeseburger, you're putting money in my pocket. That is so empowering. You have no idea how empowering that is, what the transformation looks like. I've seen kids that literally were troublemakers in school. Mama couldn't control them. Grades were bad. And when they got introduced to wealth building, that's when the inner hustler came out. That, so, so instead of them wanting to be a hustler on the streets, they became a hustler in the boardroom. Instead of being a hustler that's going to go to prison, they became a hustler that's going to become a millionaire. Instead of going out and trying to uh, become successful in basketball or hip hop or whatever it is, they wanted to become successful in investing in ownership, et cetera, which is a much easier way for them to be successful. So basically, that's what we do. And, and we're good at this and we, we're, we're succeeding at this. So, uh, so I just wanted to tell you guys about that in case you have kids that uh, that, that have potential that you want to see that potential guided. So blackmillionairesoftomorrow.com. Feel free to go take a look. That's our Black Business School for Children. All right. So uh, anyway, let's let's go ahead and close out on, on this uh, bank failure issue. So basically, here's what I'm seeing right now. I don't think that First Republic is going to be the last bank that is going to fail. I think that there are other banks that are on the verge of failing. I believe that I bet you, in fact, I bet you right now, there are bank failures that are happening that are not being seen uh, by the public. I think that they, they are being quietly handled. Um, I, I think that there are banks that are scrambling to try to shift up their portfolios and, and, and fix up their balance sheets before they get busted by regulators or, or have a run on the bank. Uh, runs on the bank tend to occur because the public gets wind of your weakness. When the public gets wind of your weakness, they smell blood in the water and everybody scrambles. When you become toxic, uh, the, 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 there's a blurred line at that point between, uh, between, uh, between fantasy and reality. Uh, it doesn't matter how healthy you actually are. What matters is how healthy the public thinks you are. So if the public doesn't think you're healthy, then the public will leave. People will just walk away. It's just like um, in high school, if somebody spread a rumor about you that you did something terrible, a lot of people wouldn't hang out with you just because they think you might have done it. Um, I, you know, I met a young black man from Stanford University who came to one of my events uh, when I was in, uh, I believe I was in Houston. And uh, and he told me that when he was in high school, he dated a, a, a nice lady that was, well, not so nice, actually. Uh, he dated a young lady that was um, not black. And he says he got accused of, of of assaulting her. And he said that it wasn't true. And it really upset him because he was trying to vindicate himself. And uh, he said that because of the accusation, similar to Jonathan Major's kind of scenario, he said that his friend, some of his friends abandoned him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even talk to him anymore. And then when it was revealed that this young lady had a mental illness and that she'd falsely accused other people before, 
and he's exonerated and he got they apologized to him, the damage was already done. So for a bank, if you get accused of being weak, if you get accused of struggling, if if, if investors even think that you know that your assets and liabilities don't match up in an appropriate way, people will leave. And the more they leave, the more it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why bank failures are so dangerous. That's why Franklin Delano Roosevelt said that the only, we have nothing to fear but fear itself because he understood that fear is a virus. And once that virus takes hold, it doesn't matter what's true and what's not true. You've made it true because you're afraid of it. Like my mother-in-law, uh, she believes to the core of her soul that when she gets in an airplane, she, that the plane's going to fall out of the sky, she's going to die. It doesn't matter how many statistics I tell, I present to her to tell her that planes are safer than cars. It doesn't matter the, the, when I tell her that no planes are crashing anywhere. Like what makes you think there are th thousands of flights every day? There are no plane crashes. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is the reality that she's created in her head because fear is an ugly beast that can kind of take over and create its own reality. And, and in fact, it creates its own risk. So fear itself, the presence of fear is a risk factor in itself. Even when there is no risk, when the demon of fear appears in an economic system, it becomes a risk factor itself. It literally creates risk where there was none. That's the craziest thing in the world about that, right? It's it's ridiculous. So, so ultimately what I would encourage you to do is don't get infected by the virus of fear. Because let me tell you something about people that are afraid. Um, people that are afraid don't typically do well financially. People that live in fear don't typically have the best lives. People that make every decision out of fear, they usually don't succeed at a high level because uh, in order to be successful economically, you have to have some way of taking on some level of risk because risk is what allows you to have that chance for the upside. So don't let fear cripple you. Just sort of understand what's really going on. All right. So Damon says, how do I determine if my small credit union is financially sound? I think the question to ask yourself is, do I have more than $250,000 in that bank? If the answer is no, then don't worry. FDIC insurance has you. If you have more than a quarter million dollars in the bank, if you want to be safe, spread your money out, put it in different banks. That's what uh, the guy that plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, that's what he did when he got his money. Um, let's see here. All right. I wish, Sheila says, I wish I was taught investment as well. Well, you know what, Sheila? I don't know how old you are, Miss McNeil, but let me just say this to you. You know, if you are not, um, if you have kids or grandkids or anybody that's going to be around after you're gone, just understand that you're not at the end of your story. This is the beginning of your story. This is the beginning. You know, my grandmother taught me what I needed to know about money and investing, but she didn't. She didn't have a college degree. She, she never made more than $22,000 a year, but she got me started. So everything that you see from me now uh, is from my grandmother. Our Panther in the Black Business School is named Felicia after my grandmother because she introduced me to economics for the first time when I was a little boy. So my grandma ain't here no more, but she's going to live forever now because this Panther is going to be on this wall for a long time. The Black Business School is built to last, right? So ultimately what I'm saying to you is uh, if you think about investing and you're only thinking about yourself, then you're probably going to miss 80, 90% of what wealth actually looks like. Most wealthy families in this country are families that have somebody from 50, 60, 70 years ago who was thinking about the future, who said, you know what? It's 1934. I'm not going to be around to see the year 2000. I'm not going to be around to see the end of this century. I'm not going to be around in 60, 70 years, but my grandkids will. And I'm going to do some things now, plant some seeds now, buy some land, uh, you know, buy some stock, put some money in a trust so that 
my great my great grandkids are going to be in a, in, in a better position than I am. So uh, my and, and this really does happen even in black families. My wife bought her first house with money that was invested for her in 1945. Did you know? Do you get what I'm saying? Right. 1945. Her great grandfather was at University of Chicago and he bought some uh, government bonds from World War Two. And those bonds kept growing and gaining interest. And then one day her grandma is like, here's here's some money. This was invested by your, your great granddaddy back in the 1940s. So so just understand that um, that that's how wealth is built. And I need you to think about somebody bigger than yourself or something bigger than yourself, uh, because if you if you only think about yourself, then you're, you're going to kind of miss a lot when it comes to investing. Hit the thumbs up button. Please hit the thumbs up button. Let's see. Uh, Sajay says, uh, I've been trying to get into your prime class and learn how to make money selling stock options. Um, yeah. Okay. So here, send an email to uh, Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-S-A, T-E-R-E-S-S-A at voicewalkins.com. Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-S-A at voicewalkins.com. That's my assistant. Uh, I'm sorry that, that uh, you didn't hear from anyone. Uh, but either way, though, uh, if you want to join and learn uh, how to make money without working or join our prime program, it's called a passive recurring income machine. Just go to drboysprime.com, drboysprime.com, P-R-I-M-E. I'll put it on the screen so you guys can see it and you can sign up right there. So um, we have uh, we have several hundred students in the prime program. And the number one goal of the prime program is figuring out ways to generate passive income, particularly through the use of stock options, selling stock options, et cetera. What I do every week is I let the students know what companies I'm buying, uh, where I'm selling my options, where I'm generating my income. So if that's of interest to you, then feel free to go right to drboysprime.com and take a look and see if it's for you. Or you can also go to uh, boycewatkins.com and I have a training there called How to Make Money Without Working, which is kind of an introduction to what we do in the Prime program. So feel free to go take a look at either one of those resources if that will help you. Okay, guys. So this is it. Uh, I'm going to let you guys go. I, I, I'll keep you posted on what's going on economically, the bank failures, everything else. Uh, God bless you. I hope you make a ton of money. Uh, please hit the thumbs up button. Don't forget, I'll be in Dallas May 19th. If you want to join us for the Black Wealth Training Camp, my new book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. And I have a ton of resources at voicewalkins.com for you, your children, your, your baby mama, your, your, your husband, whoever. Uh, we can get you going. Uh, have no fear. Dr. Boyce is here. We're about to do this. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful and empowered day. Take care. Peace.